0: For KOSU News, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and ACLU Oklahoma Executive Director Ryan Kiesel. Last week was the first major deadline for bills to make it out of their chambers of origin, One of the measures, Senate Bill 195 got a drastic overhaul. Rather than a trigger bill making abortion illegal if Roe versus Wade is overturned, it's going to a vote of the people to declare abortion isn't in the state constitution. Neva, what do you think of this change?
1: Well, I think that it, it is a bill that the voters ultimately next year would have the opportunity to decide on, and I think uh, assuming that it makes it through the process. But um, I do think that all it does is, is amend the state constitution, as you say, Michael, to say that the state constitution does not grant a right to abortion. So uh, a pretty straight up, uh, pretty straight up statement. We'll see how we, we'll see how this goes, and frankly, we'll see what kind of a campaign will ensue if, in fact, it goes to the ballot in
2: 2020. right? I think it's an unprecedented assault on the Oklahoma Constitution because right now if the Oklahoma legislature passes an anti-abortion bill and advocates or, or organizations like the ACLU, uh, the Center for Reproductive Rights, want to sue uh, and challenge the, the constitutionality of that legislation, <clears throat> not only do we have the federal Constitution to rely upon, we have the state Constitution. And the state Constitution is uh, what they're talking about isn't a guarantee of abortion care in the state constitution, but primarily they're trying to restrict the ability to use the single subject requirement and the prohibition on special laws from invalidating abortion, anti-abortion legislation in the state of Oklahoma. And so this would create a special category, and this is unique, and this is where I'm saying it's unprecedented. It would create a special category of law. So any law that dealt with abortion, would be immune from any sort of Oklahoma constitutional scrutiny. There's not another single subject or category of law that would be removed from constitutional scrutiny the way that abortion would be if this passes and then is... Passed by the people at uh, the next general election.
0: And Neva, I got to ask because uh, the Constitution, if it goes to a vote of the people, the lawmakers don't always have that great of a record. Sometimes these votes going to the people would it be uh, devastating if it got actually shot down? Oh,
1: absolutely. And I think that is one of the things that uh, certainly has to be taken uh, taken into consideration. And and we can look back even in 2016 when the Ten Commandments uh, uh, issue came to a vote of the people and mm-hmm. was and was voted down, mm-hmm. even though there was a late and and Fairly uh, aggressive campaign to try to pass it. Uh, the voters still, what for whatever reasons, and we can and we can always go back and speculate. Was it uh, insufficient uh, education on the issue? Did they really? Uh, uh, did they understand? Did they not understand? But when you send it to the to the uh, to the voters, uh, you better make sure that they understand exactly what they're voting
2: on. And and Ryan, just, go ahead, Ryan. Well, I was just going to say, you know, some of the political backstory of of how this bill even came about. If you remember earlier in the session. Senator Silk, who just yesterday was apparently replaced as vice chair of a, a, a pretty powerful committee in the Oklahoma State Senate. So you got to wonder if there's you know some political maneuvering going on right now with Senate leadership. Senator Silk had a bill that would have abolished abortion in the state of Oklahoma, or at least tried to. It was you know, patently unconstitutional legislative leadership saw it for what it was and they wouldn't give the bill a hearing. And then you had a huge groundswell of grassroots, anti-abortion activists come to the Capitol. Um, I, I think it's a small minority within the Republican primary, but they got an outsized voice and leadership got scared. And so, uh, they, they tried to come up with some sort of a middle ground and they had a trigger bill. Well, the trigger bill that got turned into this, and really what they're trying to do is they're trying to appease that element of the anti-abortion, uh, uh crowd in the Republican base. And I don't, they're going to see it as an empty gesture. Uh, But at the same time, what they're doing is they're creating this unprecedented uh, gutting of the state constitution in the process. So I think uh, from a policy standpoint, it's a bad idea. From a political standpoint, the Republicans aren't going to get out of this what they hope that they're going to. Well,
0: and I got to ask the same question that I asked Eva. If this goes to a vote of the people, is there do you do you think there might be even a backlash of people going? You know what? You know, it's also going to be a presidential election. It's going to be. This could be devastating if it gets if the voters go. You know what? No, we won't pass something like this. Yeah, you
2: know, I think it's it's an interesting question. Uh, one, it's going to make its way through the legislature, um, and I, I don't I don't know that that's a, a totally clear course right now. Right then it's got to go to the attorney general for review. Uh, when, once we get language back from there, there's going to be an opportunity to challenge it before we're to ever go on the ballot. I think that you know legal uh, organizations like the ACLU are going to take a long, hard look at whether or not we could even file a challenge and keep it off the ballot. And then after that, there'd be an opportunity to campaign on this. And I think that Oklahomans, wherever they file on uh, reproductive rights politically, I think that they can see this for what it is, which is an unprecedented political gimmick that would have Far-reaching consequences and in think, the state and constitution, and I, and I think,
1: as we've talked about before, I mean, when you look at the ratings, Amer- Americans United for Life, these groups that have legislative uh, scorecards, annual reports on states and their uh, efforts on anti-abortion laws, uh, that Oklahoma has been, uh, you know, among the leaders in the in the country and being very uh, and very strong in this area. And I think it it gets down to the issue of for many pro-life voters and for many folks that are involved in this discussion, uh, particularly among the uh, Republican ranks, is that when you have uh, in the last decade years where they averaging anywhere from 4,700 to 7,000 abortions taking place in the state of Oklahoma, there is uh, concern. And, and certainly this uh, uh, pushes the effort to try to raise this discussion and try to have something that will curb this from uh, these numbers from being what they are.
0: About 2,000 bills died in last week's deadline, and I wanted to get your thoughts on any which did or did not make it out of their chambers of origin. Ryan, let's start with you.
2: I think criminal justice reform is having a, a banner year at the state capitol. You know, I, we've seen momentum grow year after year. We've had a few setbacks um, uh, in, in legislative sessions, especially you know immediately after the 2016 passage of State Questions 780 and 781. Uh, criminal justice allies had to go and protect that from being overturned. But now we're at a point where we're seeing some Really monumental legislation moving forward. Most of it has the title off. Uh, and so, what that means is that it's ultimately going to end up in a conference committee sometime uh, late uh, April, sometime May. And there's still a real conversation about what these bills will ultimately look like. But everything from retroactive application of State Question 780 and House Bill 1269, some uh, really important pretrial justice reform uh, that's being uh, talked about right now, Senate Bill 252, jury sentencing reform, House Bill 2310. I mean, these are some really important bills. Um, you know, one of the bills that didn't make it out that I, I was really sad to see didn't was uh, uh, reforming Oklahoma's failure to protect laws that. Uh, punish victims uh, and survivors of domestic violence uh, with criminal charges whenever they uh, uh, allegedly don't report some sort of an abuse to a child. Those have been disproportionately used against women in a way uh, that fails to recognize their status as domestic violence victims themselves. And so that didn't make it out, but hopefully we'll see that again next year. But again, criminal justice reform on the move this session. Neva?
1: Well, I think when you look at the action last week, it was fast and furious, (laughs) as we talked about. But we get down to um, 800 plus bills and joint resolutions now that will kind of finally, uh, many of them make it on through the process. Uh, Kind of an even number in the House and the Senate, interestingly enough. But I thought among the bills that are still alive one that' that's been controversial that uh, certainly has uh, uh, taken time to get to this place but uh, but still be kind of in the mix is judicial redistricting. And this is something where uh, obviously uh, it would change the uh, uh, composition of the uh, Supreme Court and the appellate courts where there would be one per congressional district and then four at large. Something that uh, by and large many in the judiciary have not been uh, very enthusiastic about. but uh, this would be a, you know this would be a statutory change that time that its time may have come i mean it's it's been thwarted in the past but uh uh, i think that we're seeing a lot of you know a lot of kind of broad-based support for this and it'll be interesting to see if those groups uh, translate that into some real uh, support inside the legislative chambers as well yeah
0: a couple of Republican lawmakers are going to see President Trump regarding free speech on college campuses. Bartlesville Senator Julie Daniels and Claremore Representative Mark Leepak are going to Washington, D.C. as they crafted Senate Bill 361, requiring state colleges, universities, and career techs to protect the free speech rights of their students. Neva, this must be a b- pretty big deal for these lawmakers.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think uh, there was every indication. I mean, the president uh, was going to sign an executive order at the meeting, uh, as something that he talked about interestingly at the the Conservative Political Action Committee uh, uh, convention uh, recently, the CPAC convention, where. Uh, it's kind of the the red meat group that want to hear from uh, uh, Republicans uh, running for national office. Certainly, the president uh, being kind of the the headliner uh, this year. But he he made it very clear, gave some specific instances uh, where he uh, saw that First Amendment rights he believed had been uh, had been uh, definitely uh, taken away and violated. And uh, so we'll see. It, this is something that when you look across the country, I mean, there are a lot of groups that have actually. Uh, mer- uh, emerge that are really uh, tracking this because it is, uh, by all indications, a serious issue uh, on many college campuses across the country.
2: Right. You know, I work for an organization that uh, one of our primary missions is to protect the First Amendment. I take freedom of speech very seriously. I think it's important to remember, this is the same President Trump who has threatened to fine uh, or sanction newspapers for printing news stories about him that he doesn't like uh, in patent violation, blatant violation of the First Amendment. So it's a little rich now that he's coming out as a champion of the First (laughs) (laughs) First Amendment. Uh, Really, you know, what I think that this is more political posturing than anything. I know that there are some organizations that take this, uh, take this legislation seriously, but it's model legislation. We're seeing it across the country. I'm happy for these Oklahoma lawmakers that they get a trip to DC, they get to go to the white house. That's really cool. But at the end of the day, this bill could actually be counterproductive for free speech on college campuses in Oklahoma, because the first amendment doesn't need president Trump to sign an executive order. It doesn't need the Oklahoma legislature to pass a bill for us to uh, recognize and, and have protected longstanding public forums on college campuses. Um, and, and by defining them in the law, uh, the way that they're doing here, not only are they defined some in some, in some instances, smaller than the way courts have interpreted the first amendment. But if you put them in law, what you're saying is that there needs to be recognition there and there's already recognition. If the government gives it, the government can take it away. We put rights like that in the constitution. So they're beyond the reach of legislatures. So there's no, there's no need for a grant of permission here. And there's also some real question about liability for counter protesters. um, That could be on the groups for the left or the right. It creates a huge unfunded bureaucracy for higher education all really i think for nothing and it's i think it's unnecessary at best i think that it could limit speech rights at worst
0: a former attorney for the health department is suing the state over the so-called unity bill covering medical marijuana julie azel the attorney fired after sending herself threatening emails last year while crafting emergency rules for medical marijuana is now representing a nurse who says language in house bill 2612 signed last week by governor stitt is unconstitutional ryan does she have a case here
2: yeah i I think that there are I think that the the issues that she raises are more likely political issues than they are legal issues. Um, I think that it's going to be uh, very difficult to convince a court that. Uh, what the what the legislature has done here is so vague uh, that even that the health department at some point couldn't you know tighten these up with a rulemaking process that's transparent that everybody gets to have a, a role in. Um, it's I think you know just looking at the language that she is saying is vague for her client. I think is going to be really hard. I agree. I agree with her, especially on the uh, the the safety sensitive jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think that that's probably more a political issue than it is a legal issue. And the courts are going to say if you don't like. This you need to go to the, your your lawmakers and get that changed. Is it going to all be changed? With it, it can and, all be changed. This yeah. is, I mean, uh, state question seven eighty eight, uh, and and the laws we're we're dealing with statute here, and so the law the legislature can change this as much as they want, and the health department within their authority. And this is one of the things that came out of state question seven eighty eight. It was did the health department have the, uh, the authority under 788 to state question, 788 to enact these regulations. And they tried to, and it was pretty clear that they didn't. So they needed this legislation from the, from the house and the Senate. and Now the governor to go forward and, and Create these rules. Neither.
1: Well, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if it gets much traction as it moves through the mm-hmm. the, the court process. But uh, uh, on the surface, I mean, it seems like uh, that that it doesn't uh, it doesn't really weigh in with a lot of significance. I mean, I think when you look at uh, just the initial uh, the initial filing and what they're saying, I mean, it 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 lends to. Uh, just kind of a stretch I think uh, is kind of my instant reaction and you know not really knowing the legal you know back and forth but I don't think it sets up I think you're right Ryan what it sets up for long term as we've talked about is the legislature having to continue to come back and fine-tune legislatively statutorily things that uh, become issues that really rise to (coughs) a level that they need to be addressed uh, in law and so but in terms of um, I think you know the person that's that's filed It uh, and and their client. I mean, whether or not they can uh, go very far down this road remains to be seen.
0: And that's the, the fact that the person who's filing it is Julia Zell, who was, uh, had got, got she had sent herself threatening emails to try and push this really hard line medical marijuana which was even worse than what the unity bill actually did right so right. it was kind of unusual there i i, I don't know what's I think exactly pending behind misdemeanor
1: that, I and felony charges yeah, as yeah
2: I recall. And, and you know and those are those are those are allegations uh innocent until proven guilty and she you know still has her law license her ability to practice i mean and frankly she probably knows as much or more about this area of law uh than most lawyers in the state of oklahoma and so you know i i think that it's. I think it's an interesting angle to the story, and and one that catches everybody's eye. As at the at the uh, um, at the conclusion of, of looking at all that, though, I think that the real issue here is whether or not they've got a case. And I think that it's mm-hmm. going to be it's going to be tough for them uh, to prove uh, the the facts that they've alleged here.
0: Governor Stitt wastes no time in making appointments to three state boards after getting the new power from lawmakers. Stitt appointed a new member and reappointed four others to the Office of Juvenile Affairs, added two new members and reappointed three to the Oklahoma Health Care Authority, and he put five new members on the board for the Mental Health and Substance Abuse Department. Neva, what do you think of these appointments?
1: You know, I think overall we don't know much about them, but I think I think in terms of just the restructuring, the reconstituting of these boards, it was clear the governor was prepared to move very quickly on his part uh, to put his five members in place, and now we'll see the two from the House, the two from the Senate that, that come on to each of these boards. I would assume that they'll move fairly quickly in the next few weeks to try to get those folks in place as well so they have a full board and they can begin to, you know, they can continue to move forward. The other aspect of this is, will there be new faces in those uh, in those uh, key positions in the agency mm-hmm. as the executive director, the lead person? Uh, will there be changes? Will those come now or will they come after the legislature is out of session? I mean, I think uh, I think that's a, a, a very key part of this first year for the governor is the individuals that he puts not only in his cabinet, but those that he puts in these key agencies, since this has been a centerpiece of his uh, uh, ask from
2: the legislature this first year. Right. You know, it's going to be important. Uh, you know, Neva mentioned, you know, are, are we going to see changes at the at the top level of the, of the hired staff, the hired directors? Uh, I think that you're moving fast here is is the right way to go. It's it's good to see that the governor's got those appointments out there, and folks can say whether they like those appointments or not. But getting them out there and getting those positions filled provides some sort of certainty. If you've got uncertainty there, uh, that anxiety can have an effect on the mission of of the department. So if you're a director and you're wondering whether or not you've got a job right now, mm-hmm. um, you know that that's going to cloud your ability to to really you know go in and do the day to day heavy lifting that's required for these really tough jobs. And so the the faster the the governor and the legislature can move on on the board appointments or reappointments or the hiring or firing rehiring of directors of these organizations uh, the better it's going to be i mean this is this is a real critical point for this change in the way that oklahoma operates state agencies
0: and i got on the phone with the odot uh back uh, just a couple of days ago and uh because we we're talking about broadway extension and they've got a meeting on april 1st and they still don't know who's these not made any kind of announcement for transportation i mean how it, this it, basically they're sitting there
2: not knowing and they've got big projects they have given to some affordable.
1: indication that that's the next uh, rollout of the next names that that we'll see probably as early as next week so and
2: we're, and we're seeing a mix of, of some new faces and some continuity. And um, I think it would be, you know, if, if you have, if you end up in a situation where you have, you know, more new faces than continuity and you lose a lot of institutional knowledge and, and history, um, that could be a problem. And I, I would suggest that the, the governor would only do that if he felt that were necessary because otherwise to create that kind of pandemonium and chaos within a department, and in particular ODOT, that has mm-hmm. these huge contracts that are not dealing with just state dollars but with federal dollars and, and grants and obligations there and dealing with you know multi-year planning uh, and, and, and implementation, um, you, know, you need some certainty there.
0: And then what said we did, what did with, though, with mental health is he basically got rid of everybody and put five new people on there. Does that affect that board? Do you think there's a reason why he went... Well, I, th- I think it. I think
1: that's something that uh, uh, remains to be seen. But there's been a lot of speculation that there would be some wholesale changes in mm-hmm. some of these, not only the boards, but in some of the uh, uh, the heads of these agencies as well. And so, I think uh, I think we'll continue to see that as the months progress.
2: And, and the Capitol Press Corps does an amazing job, and I know they're incredibly stretched thin. But if if somebody wanted uh, a really good story out there go interview these board members that were recently released go talk to them about their experiences go talk to them about why they think they were released and get a sense of this is a real opportunity while they've got a, a really fresh set of eyes on the interior workings of these agencies they're not they're not prohibited i think in many instances from talking about those experiences so you know they they are now in a position now to talk from the outside as a uh, as somebody who has deep knowledge of how these things work
1: and quite likely some of these that were not reappointed may very well have told the governor's office that they did not choose to be reappointed, that they, they had served, that they had served the state and, uh, uh, now wanted to step aside and have someone else come, you know, come in their place. So we don't know, but it would be a fascinating story to see, uh, kind of, as we see the total makeup, particularly when the, when the, the pro tem and the speaker get their appointees, uh, uh, on board as well to see the full complement and really take a look at each of these boards and the direction that they plan on taking.
0: Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the ACLU, KOSU, its staff, or management.